Hello, and welcome to The Midlife with Kimberly Sampson and Tracy Feldstein. If you're over 40 and under dead, you're in the right place. Hey there, I'm Kimberly Sampson, and welcome to The Midlife Podcast, where we discuss tools and strategies to turn your midlife crisis into your midlife transformation. Some of what you'll hear is from the recipe I use to get myself out of my own midlife funk. Some of what we'll discuss draws on my career in finance and banking and my experiences with entrepreneurship. All of it, my personal experience and my professional expertise are yours to help you design your next best chapter and thrive. We'll also have a special segment called Reinvented sprinkled in every few weeks. You'll hear from inspiring women who have changed course after 40, proving it's never too late to start something new. Join me. Hello, friends, and welcome to The Midlife. I'm coming off a week of giving my midlife marriage Let's Get Real workshop, and I'm struck by something I thought would be worth talking about today. I cannot deeply impress upon you enough that if you do not find yourself living on planet bliss with your long-term spouse, you are very much not alone. Provided you're not married to an emotionally or physically abusive person or married to someone struggling with addiction issues or mental illness, I believe there's a pretty standard progression for marriages in midlife. And not to oversimplify things, but I think the path to recovery is extremely attainable. Maybe this single episode isn't going to get you all the way back to planet bliss, but I believe with some effort on your part, you can easily make your way back to one of the orbiting moons. My experience with the women I counsel is that if you got married under the age of 30 and were a goal-oriented gal, the cold hard truth is that you were excited to get a ring and plan a wedding, and that if we're brutally honest with ourselves, we weren't thinking much past the honeymoon. By all means, please notice that I changed pronouns from you to we, guilty. That realization does not detract from the fact that I am so very grateful to be married to my husband in the here and now. It's just that it's a long road from sparkling diamond, waste of money wedding and exotic honeymoon to 22 years and three kids. There's five stages of every long-term marriage. Let's start by defining the first stage of marriage. Ah, romantic love. That's how we get into this mess in the first place. I think this quote by George Bernard Shaw sums it up best. When two people are under the influence of the most violent, most insane, most delusive, and most transient of passions, they're required to swear that they will remain in that excited, abnormal, and exhausting condition continuously until death do them part. Is it any wonder that we think the wedding is the goal when every fairy tale, whether in the form of Disney, Danielle Steele novel, or John Hughes rom-com, tells us a story that then rushes us out with a cursory and they lived happily ever after? It's like the Seinfeld episode where George's girlfriend leaves very important information out of her story like that she's a shoplifter by just filling in with yada yada yada. Only our marriages are the yada yada yada. I think we were all very excited about the getting married part, but not adequately prepared for the being married part, which is where we find ourselves in phase two, distraction and disillusionment. And sadly, I think we all spend an inordinate amount of years here. This is the part where it occurs to us that we will not stay in that excited, abnormal, and exhausting condition that George Bernard Shaw describes, and we are disappointed. This is the stage where we let life take over where we lean into the many distractions that present themselves. We get wrapped up in our jobs. Maybe we add babies to the mix. And ooh, how fun, another round of registries, parties, and gifts. Then as the babies grow, we throw ourselves into their schools, volunteer for every committee, class party, and bake sale. We drive carpools and sit at endless practices, games, rehearsals, and performances. We socialize as families, maybe periodically as couples, 
and surely this is the fulfillment you must have been looking for. But in expending all that energy into the distractions, we manufacture less energy for the relationship that started this. In many ways, we take for granted that the other person is content to travel in the same direction, but on a road parallel to ours. And then you wake up from that coma I speak of so often. The alarm sounding is screaming, what the fuck happened? Who am I? Where am I? How did I get here? And am I the only one? The problem is you wake up with a hangover of sadness, anger, loneliness, and purposelessness. You were so critically and bitterly unhappy in your life that you go searching for quick fix answers and there it is. You zero in on and blame your marriage. The next three stages are less of a progression of stages and more of a crossroads, a pick your own adventure if you will. Stage three is to dissolve the marriage. In the past 25 years, the divorce rate for Americans over the age of 50, what we're now calling gray divorce, has more than doubled. While divorce rates for other age groups have leveled off or even fallen, one out of every four people going through a divorce in the United States is 50 or older. Compare that to 1990 when fewer than one in 10 people who got divorced were over 50. And the research notes that it isn't just remarried older people who are getting divorced. More than half of all gray divorces are couples who've been married for over 20 years. This option worries me a lot. Look, I'm certain there are people for which this is the right decision, and I support them wholeheartedly. But for many, I'm concerned that they pull the trigger on their marriages thinking that that's the source of their discontent. In reality, the call is coming from inside the house. You think you'd be happy if you were alone or with someone else, but maybe it's that if you were happy, your marriage would be better. Very chicken and egg. More on that later. Stage four is adjustment with resignation. You know that lump that sits in your chest? If you want to guarantee that it stays there forever, adopt it is what it is as your personal motto. There are a lot of pitfalls to dissolving a marriage. People stay for the kids or because of money or straight up out of fear. But please do not make the mistake of thinking that the opposite of leaving is staying and feeling the way you do today. If you think you can just tough it out until you die, you are totally missing the point of this wonderful opportunity you've been given to live a full life. You are in complete control of having the relationship you want and deserve. Which brings me to stage number five, adjustment with contentment. What would that look like? It's different for everyone, but here's where you really need to define your marriage purpose. I think we all crave many of the same things. To feel emotionally cared for, we all still need to be nurtured and consoled and coddled to a certain extent, especially if you didn't get a grounding foundation from your childhood. You want to feel like your effort is returned. As women, we are in do-for-others mode constantly, but we all have that destructive martyr inside that has convinced us that if we aren't doing it all, all the time, we are failing. So we say we want effort return, but do we actually allow space for our spouse to fill? You want to have communication based on trust and openness, but are you honest and forthright about what you want? We're peacekeepers by nature, so we don't speak up, and the end result? Festering resentment. You want to be a team that supports and betters each other, but have you given him the playbook? It kind of goes back to those parallel tracks we put ourselves on. At some point, you have to merge your objective. There has to be a greater purpose to your marriage. Take some time to dig deep to identify your marriage why beyond your own personal wants and desires. This is the time to come together as true partners to work towards achieving some common greater goal. And look, you want to have sex on a regular basis, feeling desirable to and desiring of your partner. So much of this requires you to work on yourself inside and out. We're so critical of our appearance and our weight, our bodies. We need to just own this aging thing. Yes, we have wrinkles and sagging and our bodies are adjusting to hormonal changes and slowing metabolisms. 
Can we just give ourselves a collective so what? I'm not saying let it go to hell. Believe me, I spend a lot of time, energy, and yeah, even money being the best I can be. And by the way, if you've already let it go, it's not too late to fight to get it back. I don't mind running the risk of you calling me vain because I know that how you feel about the way you look has consequential impact on everything from your mood, productivity, self-esteem, and yes, even your relationships. And by the way, do you have any reason to believe that if your husband could put together a cohesive list that he wouldn't want these exact same things? If you're nodding along, great. I think you deserve all that and more. But what if I told you you're not entitled to expect those things? At least you're not entitled to expect that those things will happen without 100% effort from you. We've been told for so long that it takes two to tango, and I think that's a complete cop-out. It allows us an excuse and an out that it's not our fault. At least it's not 50% our fault. Remember when I pointed out how we threw ourselves into an assortment of distractions for a good portion of our marriage? We conditioned our spouses that we didn't need all their attention. We showed them that it was okay to put other things first if we did. Why couldn't they? So in the same abandon that we disregarded the care and feeding of our relationships, we need to put the counterweight of effort into righting this ship. And you have to take the brunt of the responsibility for the foreseeable future. Oh, I know you're resentful and you're saying, why should I have to be the one to fix all this if he wants the same things? Because we as women set the tone for every relationship under our roof. If you're doubting me, should we set up an experiment where we measure the anxiety of your husband and any remaining children at home when you're pissed off? May I lovingly suggest that your husband is as trainable as a golden retriever when you commit to kindly and gently expressing what you need. Truly. Assuming you're married to a decent human, he really is willing to do what you want. Oh, I can hear you. I've asked him a hundred times and he never listens. I would challenge you to tell me if you wholeheartedly believe that the way in which you've delivered your message up until now is inspiring. In other words, are you a total sarcastic biting bitch a majority of the time that you talk to him? I referred to it before but I think that the biggest single factor that prevents women from reaching that fifth stage of adjustment with contentment is this midlife funk. Until you unpack the unhappiness you are currently experiencing, your relationship has no chance to flourish. From my large sample size of women just like you, it's my finding that any discontent and resentment in your marriage is a symptom of and not actually the source of your personal dissatisfaction. I'm kind of hoping that hits you hard. And then I want you to realize this is great news. You are in 100% control of improving your current situation. Working on you, finding your spark and your spirit again, awakening your true desires and improving your relationships is the key to living your next best chapter. If you're struggling to do that on your own, I invite you to come join us in Midlife Reimagined. You can always sign up on the website www.themidlife.co. I want to share with you that as I crawled out of the dark of my own midlife crisis, the single biggest thing that moved me to stage five adjustment with contentment in my own marriage was gratitude. We all get very busy focusing on everything that's wrong with a situation or a person that we forget to appreciate the good they contribute. I almost forgot to mention that to you today until I heard pots banging in the kitchen. My husband's making dinner something he never used to do. Even when I was working in banking full-time with two little kids, not because he wouldn't, but because I had always just assumed those responsibilities. Now that I'm fully absorbed by the midlife and, oh yeah, now we have three children, one of which I have to homeschool due to the pandemic, I asked him to share that chore with me, and he does so graciously. So I am reminded of one more thing that I appreciate about him. It's hard when you get started, but thinking loving thoughts about your spouse will generate loving feelings about them. Look for the good. It's there. It's why you married him in the first place. 
If you want to talk more about midlife marriage, feel free to post in the private Facebook group Muddling Through the Midlife. I am very careful about vetting people into the group, and yet now we are over 600 members strong. Last week was fun. Some joker named Mike wanted to join. I ask a few questions for weeding purposes before I go stalk your social media to make sure you're not a Russian bot. And the first question I ask is straight up, are you a woman over 40? Mike was forthright enough to answer no, which was already quite evident from his profile picture. The next question is, what is your biggest challenge in midlife right now? Mike offered that he wanted to support women in midlife. I bet you do, Mike. I bet you do. Suffice it to say that Mike is not part of the group, but I hope you are. That's it for this week. If you're enjoying the podcast and have a spare minute, I'd be super grateful for a rating and review. I truly appreciate you listening.